We're actually finishing a series called, uh, again, called Gifted. Uh, it's called To Unleash the Power Within, and that is the bottom line of the series. And so if you haven't been with us for the past several weeks since we started at the beginning of the year, I'm going to do a quick a recap of that this morning. Uh, again, the target of the series is for those who would call themselves Christian, who have crossed the line of faith. Um, if you haven't, well, you wouldn't consider yourself Christian, or you I think you've crossed that line yet and you're still investigating, that's fine. We're glad you're here. We're happy you're with us. We're happy you're watching. Uh, we want to make sure, uh, hopefully something that we say will draw you closer to continuing that journey. But the target of this series is for those um, who, I would, as I would say, not only crossed the line of faith, but have surrendered their life to Christ. And because of that, the Holy Spirit now indwells you. And because of that, everyone, you know, that comes to that term, everyone is gifted. The Holy Spirit comes and gives you a, a spiritual gift, and really kind of a mix of gifts, honestly. And because of that, we believe that there's a power inside each of us that we struggle to experience the power of God because we don't understand, we don't lean into, and we don't know what those gifts are. So the bottom line is just this idea that you are gifted, everyone is gifted, and we want to see that, that power unleashed. We want to unleash that power within you. All right, and here's the verse we've been reading every week. We've been reading it together, so there's like a little trick that I'm going to get you to memorize this verse at some point if you've been here over the several weeks. All right, let's read this verse together out loud. You guys ready? Let's do it. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. That's Peter just saying, look, there's this great you know, variety, this wellspring, if you will, of spiritual gifts that you've been given. Paul, as he writes several letters, he's going to lay out some of those gifts as to what those gifts are. And what I've noticed in terms of current Christianity, current church culture, is unless spiritual gifts are part of the agenda of the religion or the agenda of the denomination, we don't talk about them. We don't understand them. And most Christians go, what gifts? What are you talking about? That thing where I don't understand what they're saying? Is that the gift you're talking about? You know, is raising hands a gift? Because I don't do that either, right? I mean, that's, there's part of me that goes, I get it. Most people just don't know. So Paul addresses this. He, he specifically addresses it with a church in Corinth. Uh, we read the first and second Corinthians. Um, but the church in Corinth, he specifically addresses this idea of the gifts. That he's answering questions about uh, gifts they have. It helps them understand. And part of this was that they, they really had a misunderstanding. And I said, that's one of the reasons I believe people don't experience the power of God in their life is because, uh, well, I gave three lists. The first week was misunderstanding, distractions, and really trusting, having faith in what God says about the fact that you're gifted. So uh, just as a brief recap, so I, I made everybody nervous with all these examples, but this is what Paul did. Paul gave uh, just ex illustration after example of the human body. He said, hey, look, you know the human body. This is a good representation. I had this made after me. Uh, this is a representation, right, of the human body. And said, so, you know how it all functions and how all the parts kind of work together? That's the way it works with spiritual gifts. And yet they were arguing, this is a church that was arguing about and kind of misunderstanding about what the gifts meant. And so, you know, certain gifts meant more than the other parts of the body. Certain parts of the body, you know, the hand or the foot or the, the ear, and he goes on to say, look, there's a misunderstanding here. You don't understand how this all functions, how it's all meant to function together and to get its function and purpose from each other and from being connected to the body. And that's one of the ways we get distracted. We get distracted because how we're gifted is how we see things. 
And if I'm a, you know, if I have the gift of prophecy, or if I'm a leader, or if I have the gift of mercy, or if I have a gift of, of service, um, I, I, I tend to want to gravitate towards church, and I want to gravitate towards gatherings of people that are very much like me, like a bunch of hands just all together, right? A bunch of hands that kind of see things the way we all kind of see things. And it's very easy to get distracted with what the purpose of life is and how we're supposed to function, and we get distracted about the purpose of the body, when it's just a bunch of hands or a bunch of feet kind of getting together and agreeing with one another about how important how we view life is and how we view God is. That's a big deal. And when we don't trust the Word of God in terms of what it says about our gifting and why we've been gifted, we really don't experience the power of God in our life. And that, that was a big deal, just trying to help us to kind of get back to why don't we experience this. There's lots of reasons. We have to go back to that place. And this is how when he gets done talking about it in, in 1 Corinthians 12, he says, look, you know, the eye can't say to the ear, I don't need you. I, the, the ear can't say to the mouth, I don't need you. Like there's this interdependency that God created among not only his people, but the gifts that he gives his people. And to end that kind of statement, he says, in verse 27, he says, look, all of you together, all of you together are Christ's body. And each of you is a part of it. All of you. There's, no, there's nothing accidental or incidental about the way God gifted you. You're all part of Christ's body. All of you guys are. And each one of you has a part to play. Each one of you, you know, the goal is for you, if you're a hand, to be the best hand that you could possibly be, but it cannot be a dismembered hand, an arm. It's, it's got to be connected to the body in order for it to get its power, in order to get its substance and its function, because we're all part of Christ's body. Each one of you is a part of it. I read through the gifts. I won't read through them again in terms of the Scripture, but I'll give you the references. We read through. Uh, I only have them broken out the way they're listed in Scripture. They're all, they all come from God. I've already read Scripture about that. They all live themselves out through the Holy Spirit in our lives. Uh, there's seven gifts given by the Father, prophecy, teaching, serving, uh, others, helps, giving, encouragement, leadership, mercy. There's gifts that are stated that are given by Jesus to the church uh, in Ephesians 4, the apostle, prophet, shepherd, teacher, evangelist. And then there's, uh, there's gifts given again, stated, given by the Holy Spirit, wisdom, special knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, which is discernment, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. And so all these, these are, these are not to try to exhaust the list of gifts, but these are stated in God's Word as gifts. These are spiritual gifts that He gives you. Mixing, really, there's a mix of gifts that you receive, but you're going to receive several that are your primary, kind of the way in which you think, the way in which you view things, the way in which you function, because that's your spiritual gift, okay? And so with all of that, over the last couple of weeks, I tried to help us just understand that there is a reason, okay? First and foremost, you need to know that you were gifted on purpose for a purpose, right? That you were, that this again, this isn't accidental, this isn't, you know, incidental, you have, a, you have a part to play, okay? You, you were gifted on purpose for a purpose. Now, our greatest purpose, our greatest purpose, ultimate purpose, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's the chief end of man. That's our great purpose. And when it comes to the purposes that we live out, the purposes in our life, we don't want to settle for lesser purposes. We want to allow the ultimate purpose to help align our passions and align our talents and abilities and align our, our spiritual gifts and align our goals and our family goals to see them all come together and align with that ultimate purpose because we were gifted on purpose for that purpose, to live intentionally 
And then I said, part of this is just ultimately this idea that we need to, that we need to change. Now, nobody knows you better than you. And even though you might think you're awesome, because I'm pretty awesome, right? You might think you're awesome, but you deep down deep know exactly what is wrong with you. Like, like even if you can't you know, identify it by word, you know there's something broken, you know there's something wrong, there's, you know there's things you struggle with and deal with, and you know that you'd like to see those things change. Well, that's what we call transformation. That's part of what we call in terms of spiritual growth, transformation. And you are gifted to experience that transformation because God changes through your gifts. He changes you and he changes others around you through your gifting. But in order to experience transformation, you have to know your gifts. You have to learn and study and begin to understand how you've been gifted and what part of the bodies you are. Because that is the path by which you're going to grow and experience that power of God. Now, we talked about it last week. There's ways to receive false transformation or think you did. But ultimately, transformation is kind of this two-sided coin. It begins in the mind. It begins in the mind, which is why, you know, fitness gurus and self-help gurus kind of, they make you think you experience transformation because you can get past some limiting beliefs. You can get past some, some um, little mental blocks that are stopping you from experiencing some things. So it begins in the mind. It's true. It doesn't stop there. It, it actually matures out in our behaviors. It matures itself out in the way in which we live. James would say that faith without action, faith without deeds is worthless. It's dead. Because, because transformation, this idea of, of transforming is not just knowledge, not just changing the way we think, even though it begins there, renewing of your mind. It, it plays itself out. It matures through your behavior, through your way in which you, you live it out. And then today, just to kind of, if I could say it, it's the exclamation point, if you will, of the end of this series and really the end of what I believe God was taking me on a journey six, seven, eight months ago, in the last summer, when I began to really focus on this topic of being gifted. And that was that we were gifted for impact. Now, to be honest, just because I'm the preacher, right, because I'm the, I'm the preacher kind of thinking through this, and I'm feeling God kind of speak to me in, in some of these uh, topics, and as I begin to do my own personal search of what I believe and what I think and let him renewing my mind and growing... You know, I'm, I'm reading all sorts of different people's stuff on it, and I'm thinking, I wrote this down, and I wrote Gifted for Impact because I believe, I believe so strongly in the mission that God has called us to, to take the absolute hope of the world, which is Jesus Christ, and to share with everyone, right? That's, there's a mission at stake. There's a reason that we exist. The way in which we glorify God and enjoy Him forever isn't just us for, to get together and have a party, not just the church kind of hanging out. There's a mission on this earth, there's a goal, there's a job, there's a task that we have. So I, you know, part of me was just like, oh, well, we're gifted to have this impact. And that's how God gave us our gifts, to have an impact through our gifts. But to be honest, I really felt a whole lot more when I wrote that down, that it was a whole lot about the activities that we did. It was a whole lot more about what we did with our gifts to have an impact. And God just through the last six, seven months just really kind of transformed the way I thought about it and just kind of helped me understand, even just reading through this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, that impact has a whole lot less to do with how we master our giftedness, how we master these gifts, how we master the giftedness of our hearts, has a whole lot less to do with how we function in it versus the motivation and the drive behind it, the fuel, if you will, that flows through our gifts. Now, I want to share that with you today, just as we kind of close out this series. Hopefully, don't close out the conversation for you, but we close out the sermon series. So, 
As I was reading, again, I was studying um, lots of people's material, but I was, you know, trying my very best to stay within the context of just Scripture, reading lots of um, commentaries, and I didn't really understand that, that really, when you start looking at how Paul writes the letters, we break it up, man broke it up into chapters. I hope you guys know that, chapters and verses, so that we could understand things better. I don't know if we really do, but that's what we did. So, so as, we read, as we read these final thoughts that Paul has given this church, in the middle of a pretty heavy, I would say heavy conversation, and somewhat he plays out an argument, if you will, between a couple of the gifts that they were arguing about. In the middle of it, if you were just to take it out, in the middle of it is this passage about love. And, 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 and the most famous love passage in the world is there. Like, like we're talking, like you've seen it on social media, you know, the, your mother has something crocheted or pillow, you know, there's a, there's a pillow with this on it, right? There's artwork that you remember seeing with it. I think it's, I think it's read in like 99% of the weddings, whether they're religious weddings or not, because it doesn't mention God even though it does, but <laughs> you can read it without the context, I guess. And it pulls it out, and I just, I'm like, why is that there? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. A lot of times we don't really think about context because we just pull it out. It's a fantastic passage about love. Tell me if you've, you've, you've read this before, right? <clears throat> love is patient. Love is kind. Raise your hand if you've actually seen this somewhere. Heard it at a wedding. Raise your hand if it was read at your wedding. Yeah, that's right. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects and always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. Great passage, right? Beautiful. Say, Matt, this isn't a marriage series. I know, we usually read it in marriage series. But as I was studying this, I just, you know, why was this there? Why in the middle of a context of Paul talking about the body and spiritual gifts and how they function in the church and how they function in your life and how you should view them and how you should understand them, why in the middle of all of that is this love passage there? And here's, what I, here's the bottom line of what I felt like I discovered, is that love really is the fuel for impact. In terms of what it is, instead of feeling like we have, you know, we're on a hamster wheel, so to speak, of a spiritual journey, that there is this task in front of us, there is this greater mission, there is this, this, this purpose to our life in terms of reconciling people back to God, in terms of sharing the good news with the world. Our gifts are, are, are meant to be used in such a way that we would have impact, that it would make a difference, okay? That it would make a difference that we'd actually be able to impact others with our faith, with our life, with what we believe, with how we live. And as I was looking through this, I just began to realize, you know what? The reason this is in the middle of this conversation is because Paul's not negating gifts. He doesn't say, oh, don't worry about gifts. Let me just shift to the other thing, which is love. He says, no, you need to understand love is the fuel that actually produces impact, that actually drives your gifts to have an impact in other people's lives. Let me walk you through how I got to that point. So you get to the end of chapter 12 in, in, in this letter to 1 Corinthians. You get to the end of chapter 12, and he says in verse 27, he says, look, all of you are Christ's, part of Christ's body, and, and each one of you has a part of it. And then the last statement he makes, of course, we say it's the end of the chapter, but 
The last statement he makes before he kind of transitions, if you will, is this statement, these two sentences. He says, you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. Part of this had to do with the questions they were asking and the way he didn't want them to misunderstand. He said, look, I get it. You know, some things are, just seem more useful than others. And he just said, look, I, want you to, I don't want you to misunderstand. I want you to earnestly, right, earnestly seek, desire the most helpful gifts, which I personally believe all spiritual gifts are helpful. I think it's one of the reasons Peter said there's this great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well. They're helpful. They're all helpful. He says, no, no, look, I want you to, you should desire these spiritual gifts that are helpful. And he says, but now let me show you a way of life, a way of life that is best of all. And I think part of that was just a way of, of, of Paul encouraging them. Hey, I'm so glad you guys are just diving into your gifts, and I'm so glad this is such an, so important to you, and I'm so glad you've made this a way of life. I'm so glad this is part of who you are and how you function as a church. I'm, I'm inserting that. I think that was Paul. You know, I think that was the heart of what Paul was writing. He said, but let me just, let me just, one, one little piece of encouragement. Let me just encourage you. Let me just show you a way that's best. Now, he doesn't take that transition and then say, love is, love is patient, love is kind, love is selfless. No, he doesn't, he doesn't start there. He starts with a challenge. He starts with a picture, if you will, of how gifts and love work together, but not really in the way that sometimes I think we think it should be written. So here's how it goes. When he starts the next transition, he says, look, if I could speak all the languages, all the languages of men and angels, but I didn't love others. Now, this was a big deal to them because speaking in tongues and whether it was a prayer language, you know, angelic language or, you know, unknown languages of men, this was a big deal to this church. And he says, look, hey, I, if I could speak in all the languages, all of them, right, of angels and men, he says, but I didn't love others, I would only be, just read those two words, a what? Noisy gong or a what? Have you heard a gong before? Do you know what I'm talking about? Those big giant things in game shows where they just, it just reverberates forever? Clanging cymbals. He said, listen, there's something I want you to know. You could have all of this. You could master it. But if you don't love others, then it's just noise. Then he goes on to say this. If I had the gift of prophecy, and I understood all of God's secret plans, and I possessed all knowledge, and if I just had faith, if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I would, and what's the two words there? I would be nothing. That's harsh. Be nothing. Now you're talking about being. And he goes on to say this. If I gave everything I have to the poor, and even sacrificed my body, I could boast. I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have what? Uh, Y'all getting quieter as I read. Look at that. All right. I'm going to read one more time. I would have what? Say those two words. Gained nothing. I'm noise. I would be nothing. I would have gained nothing. And then he goes, love is patient. Right? Then, then it's the transition. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's a beautiful passage about what love is. And as I began to work through this, I was just like, okay, okay, Paul, like, I'm starting to understand better why you wanted to tell us what love is. Why you wanted to describe love to the church when it came to the use and understanding of our spiritual gifts. Because 
Apparently, according to Paul, you and I can live out of our giftedness without love. Y'all with me? Nod your head if you understand what I'm saying. That you and I could master, understand, and function out of the way God gifted us, but it would not be with love. And then the challenge came, look, this is going to be a problem because without love, it's nothing. And as I read through that and I just began to work through that in my heart, I began to look through, look, the giftedness without love shows up in the church all over the place. Like it's not a, it's not a past tense thing for Paul in terms of that. It shows up today. The church, the, the people of God trying to function and live out their spiritual journey and live out this Christian life and kind of growing in their, in their spiritual walk, but, but they don't remember that love is the fuel. Our love for others is the fuel. It's the driving force that allows us to make a difference, allows us to have an impact, allows us to progress. Then, then it's nothing. Matter of fact, I wrote down these three things as it shows up. In our lives, it shows up, and I think these are the things we have to battle. Begin to see our giftedness without love. First, I believe it shows up as arrogance. It shows up as arrogance. When he says, look, I could speak, you know, this is again to the specific church about a specific thing they were arguing about. He said, look, I could speak in all the languages of heaven and of men. But I don't have love. I'm just noise. I'm just noise. And guys, I'll be honest with you, it's too easy for us as Christians to forget that love should always be our fuel, should always be the driving motivation behind we do anything in our Christian life, even through in which the way our gifts are used and the way we see things as it renews our mind. Love is the fuel. Because if it's not, then we can be right Right? We, can, we can master that gift. We can, God can even speak through us, but we don't love anyone, and no one's going to hear it. It's just noise. I mean, you parents in the room, I mean, I'll just be, let's just, you know, in the moment I've had to correct my children, there are, there are a few times, I'll just be honest, there are a few times, not only do I not love my kid, I don't even like them, right? Like, there are just times when I'm, I'm that angry, or I'm that, you know, you know, Angry is a good word, right? I'm just, I'm so frustrated. And here I am correcting, and here I am saying the right things, and here I am, you know, uh, helping them try to understand. But because love is not seen, because love at that moment is not the fuel. Do they hear? Do they hear it? Do they listen? Did you listen? (laughs) No. You know that little cliche that people don't care what you have to say until they know how much you care? That's a horrible cliche. Yeah, it comes from Scripture, right? It comes from, it comes from Scripture. Because the reality is, is that when love is not the motivation, when love is not the motivation, I just wrote down these, these few uh, phrases. When our conversation and attitude begin to reflect more of an us versus them, we're just noise. When we think and we have conversation, when it slips out that we believe sin is their problem, then I can promise you anything we're saying, we're just noise. When we forget that anything and everything that is good about us actually came from him, we're just noise. See, arrogance is a pride that comes in that believes, that, that begins to separate us versus them. 
And it's something that easily sneaks in. It's something easily can find its way into a motivation, whether it's our attitudes, whether it's the way we think, or even the words in which we speak. The problem is, is that we get nothing. We gain nothing. We just noise in that moment. Even, even if we're living through and experiencing some element of our giftedness, there's no power behind it. There's no impact there because we don't actually love others. The second phrase he said was when he basically said, look, I can understand all mysteries. I could have the gift of prophecy. I could understand all of God's secret plans. I could have all knowledge, which is that fantastic place in life where somebody says, you know, what did, what did the Bible mean when it said this? And you go, <laughs> come, come to me. Come sit down. I will, I will explain to you what it, what it meant. That really is self-righteousness. That really is a, a, a horrible foothold in our life. When we've lost the understanding of love, that we move into a place of self-righteousness. That again, not only do we, do we forget that everything that's good about us actually came from God, that the grace that we experience came from Him, that we all of a sudden begin to think that for some reason, and again, I don't know where this comes from, but for whatever reason, we think that we, us Christians, are the focus of God's attention. <laughs> that we are the center, like we forget so easily that he would abandon the 99 to go after the one, right? Isn't that what Jesus said? He would abandon the 99 to go after the one. That the church is not the, the ultimate focus of, of Christ's gaze, of God's love. It's not the focus. We are a result of his focus for the lost. The church is, the church is like, our gaze is supposed to be fixed on him. That's clear. His gaze is fixed on those who don't know him yet. And that is where we begin to look at it and say, listen, the love of God that comes through us, if it doesn't come through our gifts, if it doesn't come through our gifts, we can begin to think that, listen, me and God are good because I'm growing and I'm learning and I've got all this knowledge and I'm getting it and I understand. And we begin to think that all of this power and all of this knowledge and all of this understanding and all of this is for us and we couldn't be dead wrong. Because it does nothing but puff us up. It does nothing to give us a haughty existence of self-righteousness. Because we've, we've forgotten that our motivation is to love others. I get this knowledge from God so that I can love others better. I get this, this experience and power from God so I can use it to love others better. But we begin to think that we're all that. Man, the charge is hard. Look, if you've... If I, could have, if I had all of this but did not love others, I would be nothing. Be nothing. I mean, there's nothing for you to rest your hat on. There's no foundation for you to stand on if you have forgotten what fuels the impact of your life. It's love. It's love for those who God loves. And the third one, that third sentence for me, this is a silent killer. This is the one that sneaks its way in, that creeps its way into our hearts, sometimes as a result of arrogance and self-righteousness. But the third one is bitterness and resentment. Because he says, look, I could give everything away to the poor. I could sacrifice myself entirely. And I could boast about it. But if I don't love others, if that wasn't the fuel motivating it, I would have gained nothing. How many financial people in the room know what a net zero gain is, right? 
Net zero gain means there's a whole lot of activity. You gained nothing, right? That's why in the NIV and, and, and King James Version, it says it profits you nothing. There is no progress. There is no impact. But there's a whole lot of activity. And he goes on to say, look, you'll have gained nothing. You, you'll, you will think you did, and you will think you have because you sacrificed everything, because you gave it all. And it's too easy for us, listen guys, it's too easy for us as believers to slide into bitterness and to slide into resentment. Well, I'm the one serving. I'm the one helping on Sunday mornings. I'm the one showing up to these things. No one else is. I'm the one going on these trips. I'm the one serving globally and locally. I'm the one who's, who's experiencing a difference in his life. No one else is. I'm the one tithing, right, like in obedience to God's word. Doesn't seem like anybody else is. And, and, and we all of a sudden have lost an understanding of why we do what we do. Why we give it all. Why we sacrifice it all. Why when Paul says, I pour my life out as an offering before God. Why in Romans 12 it says, you know, sacrificially living my life is the act of worship that we have. Why does he say all that? Because there's a motivation there. There's a fuel there that's supposed to be love. But when it's not, it gains nothing. It gains nothing. Now listen, that silent killer of bitterness and resentment is really hard because what usually happens is arrogance and self-righteousness kind of separates us and the lost. It separates us and those who Christ and his gaze is fixed upon the harvest. It separates that but the problem with resentment and bitterness is it's usually not towards the lost. It's usually towards the bride of Christ. It's towards other believers. Well, they're just not functioning and they're gifted like they should be. They're not doing what they should be doing. They're not, they're not, they, they don't mean it when they say this. And bitterness can creep in and resentment can creep in. And we are resenting and bitter against God's kids, against the bride of Christ. He says, look, if, you don't, if you've lost the understanding that love is the fuel, you will make no impact. There will be no difference that you make. Matter of fact, that's the, that's the phrase that I've used for quite a while to help me kind of be a, I don't know, it's a barometer, just a measurement, if you will, just kind of an internal attitude of, is my goal to make a difference or to make a point? That's, I've, I've used that a lot. You've probably heard me say it a lot because at the end of the day, it can, it can be deceiving. For the last 50 years, the church has done a great job at trying to make a point that everyone is lost and heathen and pagan and sinful, except for us. And, and, and as long as we make the point, we all become prophets, we all think that's our gift, to uphold truth and to see everything black and white, that's what we're supposed to do, that we've lost an understanding of what the body of Christ is. We lost the understanding of what our gifts are and how we're supposed to let love motivate and fuel us to use our gifts. No, no, it's just, it just matters if we just make the point. Making a difference will just have to happen. God will just have to do that on its own. Well, here's the way Christ said it. Here's the way Christ gave it as an example. Now, this is towards the end of his ministry. And he gives this as an example to his guys. Now, this is kind of a, this, this actually looks like a two-sided conversation, but Jesus is speaking the whole time. Jesus is actually giving the response for his people, for him. This is in Matthew, Matthew 25. It says, for when I was hungry, 
You fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. When I was a stranger, you invited me into your home. When I was naked, you gave me clothing. When I was sick, you cared for me. I was in prison. Now I want you to leave this up. All these words that he's used here, I want you to know they're important because throughout the ministry of Christ, this is the way in which he would talk about people who don't know him. The people who don't know the Father, the people who, don't, who weren't a part of the religious crowd. They were strangers, and they were naked, and they were thirsty, and they were hungry. He would talk to the woman at the well and talk about her thirst. These are just the words he would use to help describe those who are desperate for God. And he says, you visited me. He goes on to say, again, this is all Jesus. Jesus is saying that side of the conversation. And then he goes on to say, then the righteous will reply, because he's saying it for them, Lord, when? When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? When did that happen? And Jesus goes back and says, the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. See, we, we talk about the impact that it has, and, and Jesus makes it very, very clear. Listen, you have to understand, this, this life you're going to live, this way in which you're going to serve, the, the, the charge and challenge to, uh, to continue to grow in your faith, but to live it out and to live on this mission, to reconcile people back to God, like, this is going to look a whole lot of, it's going to look a whole lot more like hungry people, thirsty people, prisons, prisoners, strangers, naked. It's looking a whole lot more like that. And you don't understand, it's not just the impact you're going to have on them, it's the fact that when you do it to them, you're doing it to me. That's how important the driving motivation of love is. That's, that's how important it is that love be the fuel that drives those actions, that drives that behavior, that drives that attitude. Because it's not just about them. It's about your relationship with him. Jesus would say it this way. Right? Jesus would say, your love, right, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. It won't be your gifts. It won't be. It won't be the most miraculous, supernatural gifts you could possibly imagine. It won't be. But your love will. The way in which you love others, the way in which you love each other, it's going to prove to the world you're mine. That's going to be the fuel. That's the, that's the, the primary driving force that people are going to see and notice. And that's what's going to make the difference. That's what's going to make the impact. Paul would, would say it this way when he ends chapter 13, before he goes back into another conversation about gifts. He ends it this way, and he says, three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Now, you know, when I read sometimes on my own, I, I go to the message paraphrase, because I just love sometimes the way Peterson uh, describes things. And he actually uses the word, trust steadfastly in God, hope unswervingly, love extravagantly. The best of these three is love. These three things will last forever. These, these three things are going to last. There will come a time when gifts don't really, they're not that useful. They don't matter that much. But love will last forever. Your hope will last forever. This faith you have will last forever. So again, kind of as a, kind of just as an exclamation point to this 
this series, if you will, I, there's nothing I want more than for you to understand how you're gifted. There's nothing I want more for you to begin to, to study it, to begin to read, whether it's my book or others, and, and whether it's a, the, the, you've, you've hopefully taken the assessment and you have an idea and you've looked up online, hey, Google's your friend. I say go for it, right? Look it up. Do some research. Do some study. Engage in conversation. Talk about it with your life group. I want this to be something that you take very seriously, but the reality is, is that if there's the possibility that we could all function in our giftedness without love, that's a problem, which is why this message was necessary. That's why this ending was needed, because the last thing we need is more arrogant, self-righteous, bitter, and resentful Christians, right? That's the last thing we need. I don't care how gifted you are. I don't care how, how amazing it is if love is not the fuel, if love is not the thing that, that motivates and drives the impact you're going to have in your life. So I, I put those, that, those words back up just to help you remember, I am gifted. You may have to say that to your again to show up a thousand times for you to trust and believe that it's true, that God has gifted you. By His Holy Spirit, He has he has in, implanted in you something very unique and special, aligning with all the mystery, mystery of how he's complexity of how he's made you, with your personality and your abilities and your talents and your experiences and your passions. It's going to play itself out differently than anyone else. He's given you these gifts. But even as Paul said, hey, these, there are three things that you can, if there's anything else you need to know, just let that gift, let those gifts kind of center themselves on these three things that will last forever, no matter what. I use some of our, our, uh, our words that we've used, a steadfast faith, this unshakable faith and trust that God's way is the right way, that what he said, how, what, he, what he said matters more than anything, that there's an absolute hope, right? This unswerving, absolute hope that we have in Christ. And it plays itself out in, in not just love, but extravagant love. It's extravagant. Every time you've asked yourself, I mean, I don't know if you're in the habit of asking yourself, you know, do I just love people too much? I don't know if you ask yourself that question. You probably don't. But if you ever begin to ask yourself, you know, I, just do, I mean, I'm just too loving. I just love people too much. Yeah, bull, right? Because the word that I love and the word that I've seen used so often is the, in terms of description of God's love is extravagant. I don't think you're gonna, you and I come even close to bordering on extravagant love. But that's the goal. And that's the thing that he says should be driving, should be the fuel of our gifts so that we can have an impact, so that we can make a difference and not just a point. That's my prayer. Let's pray together. God, I just... Uh, I'm so thankful that the love we receive from you is that extravagant, grace-filled love. And God, I'm so, I'm so honored to be a part of a body, to be a part of a church. Engaging in this conversation, beginning some, some beginning for the first time to take steps to understand how they've been gifted and why they've been gifted. God, thank you for the challenge that Paul felt the need in the midst of a great discussion about gifts 
to give us a picture that, you know, these gifts do have an impact, but there's a way in which we could function in our gifts without love and to help us remember that it's nothing, that it's just noise. God, may that just unlock for us and reframe for us maybe the believers we've seen in our, in our lives, in our families, at past churches, past experiences, that we've seen enough examples in this world of believers gifted by you functioning without love. And God, may, may it not be that way for us. May you continue to transform us. May you continue to teach us how we can allow love, this extravagant love that you gave us, to pour back through us, through our gifts, and to help us make the impact you want us to make. To continue to bring people back to the good news and to the hope, absolute hope of you. To help people understand that, not just to recognize that they're naked, because that's, that's just making a point, but to, but to clothe them, to help give them solutions that you've given us through your word that work, that actually help people. There's no greater opportunity, God, to love others than through that. Thank you again, God, for this, um, this message, this entire series. And God, as we continue the conversation, even though we end this series, I pray that we would continue the conversation, that our church would become one that is not simply known as gifted men and women of God, but God, that we would be known by our love for one another and our love for this community. I pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.